Very good evening to each and every one of you. Lovely to see you on this midweek evening. Thank you for Edel to inviting me to speak this evening. And uh, I've been, the last few times I've spoken to you, we've been uh, going through the life of David uh, from the book of Chronicles. And uh, I thought we'll do another chapter in the book of Chronicles. And I picked the, uh, chapter 10, 1 Chronicles chapter 10, and it's got uh, 14 verses, and uh, I'll just like to run through these verses, and as I usually do, we'll just pick a few things here and there from within these verses, and we'll try and draw some lessons for us. I'll ask Dean, please, if you don't mind uh, reading uh, 1 Chronicles chapter 10, verses 1 to 14. Now the Philistines fought against Israel, and the men of Israel fled before the Philistines and fell down slain on Mount Gilboa. And the Philistines followed hard after Saul and after his sons, and the Philistines slew Jonathan and Minadab and Malchishua, the sons of Saul. And the battle went sore against Saul, and the archers hit him, and he was wounded of the archers. Then said Saul to his armor-bearer, Draw thy sword and thrust me through therewith, lest these uncircumcised come and abuse me. But his armor-bearer would not, for he was sore afraid. So Saul took a sword and fell upon it. And when his armor-bearer saw that Saul was dead, he fell on the sword and died. So Saul died and his three sons and all his house died together. And when all the men of Israel that were in the valley saw that they had fled and that Saul and his sons were dead, then they forsook their cities and fled, and the Philistines came and dwelt in them. And it came to pass on the morrow, when the Philistines came to strip the slain, that they found Saul and his sons fallen in Mount Gilboa. And when they had stripped him, they took his head and his armor, and sent into the land of the Philistines round about to carry tidings unto their idols and to the people. And they put his armor in the house of their gods and fastened his head in the temple of Dagon. And when all Jebesh Gilead heard that the Philistines had done to Saul, and when all Jebesh, and they arose, all the valiant men, and took away the body of Saul, and the bodies of his sons, and brought them to Jabesh, and buried their bones under the oak of Jabesh, and fasted seven days. So Saul died for his transgression, which he committed against the Lord, even against the word of the Lord, which he kept not, and also for asking counsel of one that had a familiar spirit to inquire of it, and inquired not of the Lord. Therefore he slew him, and turned the kingdom unto David, the son of Jesse." So chapter 10 gives us uh, the tragic death of King Saul. Now, uh, we've been looking at David, but uh, today we are going to look at his predecessor. And as so often happens in scripture, one man is removed to make way for another man. Over and over again, we see that in the Bible, Ishmael was expelled to make way for Isaac. And then 
Esau. He had to give place to Jacob. We can see that in Genesis chapter 25 and verse 23, that uh, Esau uh, was the older, but uh, God decided that Jacob would be the one uh, who would be uh, uh, the chosen one. And then, uh, more importantly, we see that Adam, he was superseded by the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, and then here, Saul, who was a man after the flesh, he was replaced by a man after God's own heart. And uh, Paul also made reference to this. Uh, we can see it in Acts chapter 13 and verses 21 and 22, uh, when he said that God removed him and raised David up to be uh, his king. Verse uh, 22, please. And I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after mine own heart, which shall fulfill uh, all my will. And there at the top, you can see that he had removed him. God removed him. So uh, the life of Saul has no bearing on the life of David that we've been looking at all this time. But uh, the sin that Saul did uh, is an important uh, factor uh, we must consider when we are looking at the life of David because it focuses us on the faithfulness of David who succeeded Saul. Uh, over and over again in scripture, you see uh, a jewel shining against a dark backdrop. And Saul was the dark backdrop. And David came along and he was the jewel. So I would like to now go through these uh, verses. Now, um, Saul's death can be viewed in various ways. We might regard him as a victim of warfare, someone whom the Philistines killed during their battle. Or you could regard him as someone who committed suicide. He fell upon his sword. But the last verse that Dean read to us, verse 14, uh, it tells us that it was God who took him, who uh, took his life. You see, um, the death of Saul was by divine degree. God had decided that Paul, uh, uh, Saul should die. And the reason is given there in that he inquired not of the Lord, therefore he slew him. Now, this brings us to a very important lesson. Human instruments are often used by God to uh, fulfill his uh, purposes and plans. But he does not, uh, he's not dependent on human agents to effect his purposes, but he uses them. He employs them to frequently uh, do things to achieve God's plans. Let me give you an example of what I mean. Uh, turn with me to uh, Acts chapter 4, verses 27 and 28. You can see a very good example of this uh, regarding the crucifixion and the circumstances surrounding. 
For of a truth, against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together. For to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. So did Herod do it to the Lord Jesus Christ? Did Pontius Pilate do it? No. They did what God's hand and counsel determined. It was not their plan or what they decided to do. It's what God had allowed Herod and Pontius Pilate to do to the Lord Jesus Christ. So what happens is that God's purpose, he uses human beings to achieve his plan, but he's never dependent on them to uh, fulfill his purposes. So Saul was taken away from this earth. It wasn't the Philistines that decided that he should go. It was God that decided he should go. So in verse 1, we see that it says, the Philistines fought against Israel. Now from the time of Philist, uh, Isaac, we can see in the Bible that the Philistines were always against the people of God. And they were motivated to stop them, uh, whatever it took. And then when Isaac, he opened the wells uh, that were confiscated in the days of in Exodus, they came up in battle against them. And then God led his people out of uh, uh, Egypt in a circuitous route to avoid the Philistines. And then over and over again, then after that also we read that the Philistines, uh, even in the days of Samson, he died in their custody. And now the first king of Israel, he would fall at the hands of the Philistines. So they are acting true to form here. They are attacking the people of God. Now, the battle proved to be an easy battle for them. And the men of Israel were fleeing uh, and falling before the Philistines. Uh, you can see that in verse 1, they fled from the Philistines and they fell down. So here's another lesson for us. In any situation, individuals who are bereft of the presence and power of God always face defeat. God was not with the children of Israel because they had not been following and obeying his will. And if you are not close to God, his presence is not with you, his power is not with you, you will face certain defeat in whatever you are doing in your life. And then uh, the Philistines, not content with just winning the battle, we see in verse 2 that they followed hard after Saul. And then his three sons, uh, the verse tells us that they fell in the battle and uh, Jonathan, who was the natural successor to Saul's throne, he also fell. Now, we all know a little bit about Jonathan and David and their friendship together. And uh, 
it appears to me that Jonathan's love for his father and his family was actually more than his love for David. Because at the crucial circumstances in life, he was found to be with his father. Now, uh, there are two incidents I'd like to point out to you uh, where he could have associated with David when he was a fugitive, going from place to place, hiding. But Jonathan chose not to go with David. Now, we all uh, know about their great friendship. But uh, I'd like to show you this. The, the first one is found in 1 Samuel chapter 20 and verse 42. Scripture records that, uh, and Jonathan said to David, go in peace for as much as we have sworn both of us in the name of the Lord, saying, the Lord be between me and thee and between my seed and thy seed forever. And here's the crucial words. And he rose and departed, and Jonathan went into the city. David went back to his men, but Jonathan chose not to associate with David, and he went back to his comfortable life in the city. And then we look again at 1 Samuel chapter 23 and verse 18. And the two made a covenant before the Lord. And then what happened? And David abode in the wood, and Jonathan went to his home. And a little earlier, in that same chapter, in 1 Samuel 23 and verse 17, David and Jonathan had made a pact that in David's administration of the kingdom, Jonathan would be his right-hand man. And he said unto him, Fear not, for the hand of Saul my father shall not find thee, and thou shalt be king over Israel, and I shall be next to thee. And that also Saul my father knoweth. So what happened? All these promises of great friendship I will rule with you, I'll be your deputy. And on this day, he died in the hands of the Philistines. You see, what happened was, his fondness for David never extended to him associating with him in exile. And so, he didn't become his deputy. There's a very important lesson for us in life here. You see, let us learn the lesson that if we sidestep the stigma and sacrifice of being associated with the Lord Jesus Christ, we deprive ourselves of a reward in the coming day. You see, uh, having never suffered with David, Jonathan never reigned with David. Isn't that true? Having never suffered with David, he never went to battle with David. He never went uh, when David was in the woods running from place to place. No, he always chose to go with his comfortable life in the city with his father. And so having never suffered with David, he never reigned with David. Now in each of your lives, if you choose also the comfortable option of not associating with the Lord Jesus Christ, you are going to deprive yourselves of rewards in heaven. When I say that, I mean that you will have opportunities at your workplace, at your school, uh, 
but you may choose not to reveal that you are a follower or disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. You may choose not to suffer with him. Only if you put yourself out there and you identify yourself as a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ and you choose to bear that burden that the world thrusts upon Christians and you choose to suffer for the Lord, one day you will be greatly rewarded for that. Jonathan chose, despite all the good words and the nice talk and I will reign with you, you're my friend, all these things, but it didn't come down to action. It was just words. And having not chosen to suffer with David, he didn't reign when David became king. He never became his deputy. Okay, <clears throat> so moving on. Uh, verse 3, uh, we see that uh, it was the archers that brought Saul's battle to an end. Uh, he was one of the few in Scripture who was brought down by a bow and arrow. Now, in each case in the Bible when we see a bow and arrow being used uh, to bring down a person, you can always see that there was God's hand in it. It was not man, but God directing the arrow to the person. Uh, you can see that in Ahab's case, and then in King Josiah's case, uh, that it was the archers that shot the bow. But on each occasion, it was God's purpose and will that brought them down. And the bow and arrow was a very effective instrument those days in the battlefield. Now, there's a lesson for us even today. In Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 16, it tells us that an effective weapon in the hands of the enemy is described as a fiery dart uh, of the evil one. We may not have the actual arrow today, but there are still fiery darts around for us to be aware of and to contend with. And it says there in this verse that above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. So what happens these days is that the evil one he sends these fiery darts to question your faith. All different uh, ways where throughout the day or throughout the week, you question, am I doing the right thing? Is there really a God? Is there a Lord who died for me? Constant fiery darts are coming your way, questioning your faith. And you need to take great care to ensure that you are also not brought down by one of these darts or arrows that the evil one brings. Our minds are constantly attacked with unbelief, skepticism. We may not admit it openly to one another, but it does happen, isn't it? Because our mind is weak and temptation comes our way. And we sometimes feel like giving in. 
let us make sure that we don't fall the same way uh, those before us have fallen. Then I want you to notice next that uh, we cannot be certain that Saul was fatally wounded, but his injuries rendered him immobile, and he was at the mercy of the pursuing enemy. And you notice in verse 4, uh, he asked his armor bearer to draw his sword and to kill him. And he says, they may come and abuse me. You see, he remembered what had happened to Samson, uh, how they had tortured him and made sport of him and abused him. And he had been blinded and baited. And Saul did not want to share that same fate. And so he asked his armor bearer, trust me through, you kill me. But the armor bearer, he was paralyzed with fear and he didn't do it. Now why didn't the armor bearer do it? And this is another lesson that we can apply to ourselves. You see, there was a similar incident uh, and David had an opportunity to kill Saul. And we can see that in 1 Samuel 26 and verse 9. And David said to Abishai, destroy him not, that is Saul, for who can stretch forth his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? You see, we must not act against God's chosen leaders. God appoints, only God can remove. David understood that. You see? So he said, whoever stretches forth his hand against the Lord's appointed, he's, he'll be guilty. The armor bearer did not want to be the one to take Saul's life. Let us also make sure that we are never found plotting and planning against God's chosen leaders because whom God appoints, he will remove. He's the one who removed Saul. And we don't need to do anything. Uh, God can control and take action when he wants to. Then I want you to also notice the, about the power of example. You see, uh, uh, in verse 5, we see that the armor bearer saw that Saul was dead and he fell likewise on his sword. Now, I don't see any record of the armor bearer being injured. Perhaps he could have made his escape like Abner, the captain of Saul's army. He escaped. And so the armor bearer could have made good his, extend, uh, his escape but he chose to die with his master. Now, here's another lesson for us. The example and counsel of leaders should be followed when uh, it is right and good, and they are following after God's word. But a bad example on the part of the leadership should always be ignored. The King Saul... He did the wrong thing by taking his own life. But he set an example that the armor bearer then followed suit and he did the same thing. 
So let us also make sure that we follow that principle. And then next, I want you to notice that news of the defeat of Saul spread through the heights of Gilboa and to the valley below. In verse 6, we can see that uh, Saul and his three sons died. And then in uh, verse 7 and 8, you can see how the news spread. Now, the Philistines, in verse 7, we can see that they settled into the cities that were vacated. And the solemn lesson is this, that defeat at the hands of the enemy invariably means loss of territory. And it's never easy to regain ground. You see, the children of Israel fled away when they saw the enemy coming. Now, the solemn lesson is this. Uh, we will never be able to retake, or it's not going to be easy to retake territory once it's lost. So let us make sure that we don't give place to the devil. If he tempts you and you fall into sin, it's going to be difficult for you to regain that ground again. Don't give in to him at the first place uh, and fall back. Uh, the Bible tells us, neither give place to the devil, stand against the wiles of the devil. And Peter and James both tells, tell us that Satan should be resisted. We must resist at all costs. Don't give in. Then I want you to notice next in verse uh, number 9 that the Philistines uh, carried tidings unto their idols. Do you see those words there? Carried tidings unto their idols. You see, um, they had to carry tidings to their idols. What does that tell me? It tells me that their idols were not in the know. They didn't know what was going on. They were powerless. These people had to go and tell the idols what had happened, that they'd won a victory on the battlefield. You see, John tells us that our God knoweth all things. That's the difference between the God that we worship and the false gods like the ones that the Philistines were worshipping. So let us remember how different our God is, that he is the one who is the creator of this universe. He has planned everything. He has prepared everything for us. He is far greater than any other God, person, or individual. He is the all-powerful God that we worship. Then uh, I would like to move on uh, quickly to um, verse number 11. Now, uh, what the, uh, in verse 10, we see that they put his armor in the house of their gods and fastened his head uh, in the temple of Dagon. And then, in verse 11, we see that the men of Jabesh-Gilead heard what the Philistines had done to Saul. Now, we read earlier that these men came in verse 12, they arose and they came and took away the body of Saul. 
So why is it that these men of Jabesh Gilead risked their lives to come into the Philistine territory, enter into where his head was fastened, take it away back to their country or their area, and go and bury it? You see, the reason is this. Uh, Forty years earlier, their city had been under threat from the Ammonites. And the terms of the surrender uh, were this, that all the men of Jabesh had to have their right eyes put out. Uh, the Ammonites would do it. And what happened was, King Saul, in his first major battle, after he became king, he came to the rescue of the men of Jabesh Gilead, and he saved them from the Ammonites. And now several uh, decades had passed, and the men of Jabesh Gilead remembered what Saul had done for them. In fact, many of their fathers would have lived the rest of their lives without their right eye, if not for him. And so now they had the opportunity to repay that debt that he had uh, uh, done for them. And so they were not content to let things be, uh, and they could have sat comfortably in their homes, but no, they took a risk. They went into Philistine territory, and they brought his body out. So there's the next lesson for us. Gratitude. Gratitude is a very noble virtue. You see, it's getting less and less in the world today. And in the Bible, over and over again, we can see uh, examples of gratitude and how we should also be those that show and express our gratitude. Um, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 15, it tells us this. See that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. Always do what is good to all men. Uh, David was so careful to avoid treating uh, people in a bad way. He always wanted to treat people in a good way. Among his final words uh, to Solomon was this, in 1 Kings chapter 2 and verse 7, this is one of David's final words. He said, But show kindness unto the sons of Barzillai the Gileadite, and let them be of those that eat at thy table. For so they came to me when I fled because of Absalom thy brother. You see, even on his, at the end of his life, when he was giving his final instructions to his son, he remembered those who came and helped him when he was in trouble. And he made provision for his son Solomon to take care of them even after his death. Gratitude, that's a wonderful thing for every Christian to possess. And the men of Jabesh Gilead, well, they had plenty of gratitude. And then I want you to notice uh, next that... Um, in verse 12, so they took away uh, the body of Saul and they brought it and buried it in a oak in Jabesh. And it tells us 
They fasted seven days. They fasted seven days. Now, sometimes I ask you a question when I speak. And so here's my question for today. Who can tell me some of the times in Scripture where fasting occurred or mourning occurred and how many days it occurred for uh, certain Bible characters? For King Saul, you can see that it was seven days fasting and mourning. Can you remember some other Bible characters and how long the people fasted for them? Okay, let me tell you. Uh, first, we'll look at uh, Genesis chapter 50 and verse 3. Jacob. And it tells us that uh, the Egyptian mourned for him three score and ten days when Jacob died. Seventy. Seventy days of uh, mourning. And then uh, Aaron, Numbers chapter 20 and verse 29. And when all the congregation saw that Aaron was dead, they mourned for Aaron 30 days. Only seven days for Saul, 30 days for Aaron. And then Moses, Deuteronomy chapter 34 and verse 8. And the children of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days. So the days of weeping and mourning uh, for Moses were ended. 30 days for Moses. You see, the lesson is this. Expressions of grief should be in keeping with the status of the person and what they have achieved for God in their life. Uh, always live your life to achieve the best for God. And then you don't have to worry about it, but people will remember, God will remember what you did. You see, uh, Scripture says of Jehoram uh, that he departed without being desired. Make sure that you don't live your life in a way in people didn't desire you when you departed. But be instead like Stephen uh, in Acts chapter 8 and verse 2. This is what it says. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. Live your life with great testimony and example where people will want to make great lamentation for you when you pass away or are called home. Saul was only seven days. Jacob, 70 days. Moses and Aaron, 30 days. Everyone is judged differently according to what they have done for God. Stephen, they made great lamentation for him. What will it be like for you? Then I want you to notice, uh, I've got a few minutes left, and uh, why did Saul have to die in this way? Why did God decide to take Saul's life? Uh, and for that, I would like you to turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 15. I'd like to give you a quick explanation of why God took his life away. 
so in 1 Samuel 15, uh, there is this uh, instruction that God gave uh, Saul. And it says there that in verse 3, uh, here God told Saul, now go and smite Amalek, utterly destroy all that they have and spare them not. So what did uh, Saul do? You see, the reason that God wanted it done this way is found in the previous verse, verse 2. Thus said the Lord of hosts, <clears throat> I remember that which Amalek did to Israel. You see, God remembered what they had done, and so he decided that he wanted to punish them. And so he gave Saul an instruction, go and utterly destroy them. So what did Saul do? Saul was God's chosen instrument uh, for vengeance against Amalek. And rather than following the instructions of God's instructions, he spared the king and also took the best of what they had to offer. Verse 9, 1 Samuel 15, 9, And Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the fatlings and of the lamb and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them. You see, God said to him, utterly destroy them, and he didn't. And then in verse 13, this is what Saul did. So he goes to Samuel and he says, and Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said unto him, Blessed be thou of the Lord, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. You see, he's not doing it, but he's claiming that he did it. And then uh, in verse 20, he says again, uh, and Saul said unto Samuel, Yea, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. Just because people come and tell you, I did this, or I'm doing this for God, or I'm doing that, or, doesn't necessarily mean that they're actually doing it. And so, in verse 11, this is God's assessment of the situation. It repented me that I have set up Saul to be king, for he turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. That is God's assessment. And then in verse 23, this is what Samuel said unto Saul, Thou hast rejected the word of the Lord. You see, there is a very important lesson here that I would like to end on this evening. And the lesson is this. Partial obedience to God is really no obedience at all. Week after week, you come here and you hear God's word being taught to you, and you know what is required of you. But if you choose only to follow some and not others, not what is convenient to you, in God's book, that is not obedience. Even if you think, no, I'm being obedient, I'm being good. Saul thought, you know, I have followed God's commandments. No. God wants, on our part, 
He wants complete surrender of our will. He wants complete surrender of our soul. He wants everything from us. You see, uh, it tells us that in Deuteronomy 5 and verse 29, oh, that there was such with a heart in them that they would fear me, keep all my commandments always, that it might be well with them and with their children forever. If you choose to put God first in your life, if you choose to make him the center of your life, not only will you be blessed, but your children also would be blessed. Isn't that wonderful when we can claim a on a heritage like that? Saul chose the other way. And what happened to his children? You know. Think about it carefully. God wants that you would keep all his commandments always. Not just a little bit here and a little bit there. No. All his commandments always. If you do that, it will be well with you. And you'll be bringing blessing on your family and your children. Isn't that a wonderful promise for us to hold on to? Let us be like those uh, children of God who have done this and they have experienced great blessing in their life. Uh, what a way for Saul to go out. Uh, we see the final verse here. Um, he inquired not of the Lord, therefore he slew him, and he turned the kingdom unto David, the son of Jesse. These are, you know, these closing verses are a very sad obituary on such a wretched life, you know. Uh, it held so much promise at the start. And then it just frittered away at the end. Perhaps when you were first saved, you were full of that first love for God and wanting to do things for God and achieve things for him and be a great disciple for him. And perhaps that first love, that candle is not burning so brightly now. Perhaps it's time to think whether you should rededicate your life to God, follow all his commandments, and then you can have happy last days, not like this obituary that we are reading of Saul. There are so many examples in the Bible of those that ended their life on a winning note. How would you like to end your life on a winning note? I'll give you this example as we close, the example of Jacob, and it's found in Hebrews 11, 21. Jacob's last days were his best. We see that in the Bible. And it says in Hebrews 11, the chapter of faith, by faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed both the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning upon the top of his staff. When he was dying, he worshipped God. What a way to go out. Wouldn't you like to go out blessing people, worshipping God? 
that would be a great victorious end to your life. That would be what you and I can hope and dream for. In the meantime, make sure these fiery darts, things that come your way, that you avoid falling into the same trap that Saul fell into, that you live a life, a victorious life, pleasing to God, that every commandment that is given, that you follow it and don't follow the example that Saul laid for us. Let's close in prayer. Our Father, we thank thee for this opportunity that thou hast given for us to look into thy scripture and learn lessons for our life. We thank thee, our Father, that these scriptures are given so that we may learn from what others have done in their lives. And we pray, our Father, that we will be those, not just hearers of the word, but doers also, and that we would apply these lessons to the lives, both those who are here and myself as well. We ask this all in the precious and worthy name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.